Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, episode 140, welcome to Million Dollar Agent. It's getting close to the big one I know, <laughs> isn't it? I thought you were going to rate him again out of 10. No, I forgot. I'm, I'm <laughs> fed up with He's got past. <laughs> no, the problem is the rating is going down, not up, so I'm, I'm, I've moved on. I'm now going to celebrate the fact that we are within 10 podcasts, therefore 10 weeks of, uh, of lunch. the big 150. Lunch. There you go. So that's exciting. Well done, everyone. Well, um, John, 140 podcasts. When, how I say many, well, how many podca- when I say well done, well done for, for listening to putting, <laughs> up with us, putting up with us for 140 podcasts. So I just want to, uh, Troy, how many podcasts have you missed? One. John, how many have you missed? No, I don't know because I wasn't here, so I'm not sure. Maybe oh. one or two. I, I actually, <laughs> I think, I'm, look, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know whether, I think if this was a, a, a rugby league conversation, they would actually be pulling out the statisticians and say, I don't think Tom Panos has missed a game. Yeah, no, fair call. Okay. No, he has actually. You and I have done a yeah. couple of droids, so Tom, I think we'll better get Barry to check the facts there. Okay, we'll get, we'll get our stats guy <laughs> on there. And we, we've got some great stats today as well, because the guy that we're going to talk about and John and Troy, I have to say that I remember reading this book. The author we're going to talk about is Robert Cialdini. Have I said it right, John? Cialdini, yeah. So it's, it's Italian name, I, I believe. C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I, for those that want to download the book or to go and buy it. Influence is the name of the book. I remember when I went to an Anthony Robbins seminar, and I think, Tom, 25 years ago-ish, something like that, a long time ago, and he was mentioned, and they talked about social proof and a whole range of other things, some of which we're probably going to touch on today. But um, at the time, this book, Troy, was so revolutionary. And uh, I think his background is like a psychologist or something like that. And he studies human behavior, which I think is fascinating because I've always been a great believer, Tom, that sales, there's a degree of artistry and creativity and there's a degree of science and process. And I think if the best agents that I've seen bring the two together, so Cialdini talks about all of that, and I think uh, it's fascinating. You read the book? Yeah, well, John, the, the background to it is that he was doing his PhD on influence, and as part of his project, he went and got jobs working as a salesperson in car sales, insurance sales, I think real estate sales, and he went in there and did the actual induction courses, yep. and he went backstage to learn what the top salespeople were doing. Ultimately, there were seven laws that came out, but today on this podcast, I want to touch on three of those laws, and maybe in... So when you say laws, these were kind of the key things that he found created the greatest influence. Correct. And and look, I I just want to sort of, Troy, stop there for a second in terms of influence. Some people kind of get worried about the word because they they kind of, it's a bit like, you know, they feel it's manipulation. I think you know that people generally find it difficult to make decisions, no matter what it is. If it's if it's anything from reasonably large to very large, buying a house, appointing an agent, buying a car, switching accountants or banks, um, you know, people find it hard to make a decision. So my view is that if you're the best person for the job, and if you can utilise um, laws such as Cialdini's to make sure that you influence them to take the best decision, and to make a decision with confidence, it's a good thing. So. Uh, I think it's it's phenomenal, and over the years, many of these things, some of which we'll talk about today, Tom, I've used as a result of reading the book and and understanding some of the key concepts to to phenomenal advantage. I mean, it's really basic stuff. When you hear about it, it's not what you call 
revolutionary, but it's so so prolific when it, when you put it into practice. John, I've, I've always said it. McGrath's to me has been uh, the factory of producing the best real estate people in Australia. When you look at these laws, which I know you're aware of the laws, because even recently we were talking about it because another podcast, which is um, our great friend, uh, what's his, uh, our great podcast friend that we all love. James Altucher? James Altucher. James Altucher. He had Robert. As a guest, right? As a guest. Yeah. yeah. Because he's just put out another book called Persuasion. So there was influence and he's just putting out another book, which is why he's on Altucher called Persuasion, mm. not Persuasion, Persuasion, which was, I think it's, it'll be really great. And I heard the interview, I haven't read the book yet, but again, it talks about, you know, what you do before you meet someone, pre, Persuasion, how that can influence them. So it's kind of like, you know, call it the eighth law, I guess, in many ways. Well, in many ways, um, it's, you've always said it's the 30, 40, 30 rule in a presentation. And exactly. I suppose that's about the 30 before the meeting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I think so. Okay, so I want to talk about um, law number one that we're going to touch on today, and it's the law of liking. And in summary, the law of liking says is that people generally have a tendency to want to do business with people that they like. Yes. And this law touches on the things that influence liking are finding similarities, giving genuine, sincere compliments. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the law of liking. I mean, they've got to like you to list with you. I'm not saying that's why they list with you in the end, but that's sort of a non-negotiable, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's a really good one, Tom. And if someone just hears it out of context, they say, oh, so what? The law of liking, if they like you, they're more likely to use you. But you think about it, Troy, when you go out to a listing, a lot of agents, their focus is on telling the vendor stuff that makes them look like the best choice. So they kind of think of a whole range of ways of doing that. And yet one of the key things is how do you create a bond where they actually feel a high level of trust and confidence and liking? And if they like you, they'll probably find a way to use you as long as you're competent. I'm not saying yeah. you can be likable and incompetent, but you know, assuming most of our listeners are far from incompetent, they're very competent, just think about you know, what is it? And I always say to people when I'm doing a coaching session, so think of two or three people you really like could be your business colleagues, it could be a mentor, it could be part of your social group. And then just kind of hold the thought for a minute and then try and unpack it and say, what is it that you like about them? Because often we kind of feel attracted to someone, Tom. And, and if someone says, why do you like that person? They don't have an immediate answer, they have to think about it, but they just like them. But I think in life, you know, whether it's a service experience or someone you like, if you can take the time to say, okay, well, tell me what do I like about that person? Well, every time I meet them, they're smiling, so I kind of smile. Yeah. And then they're always upbeat and they're positive about life, so I feel good around them. And the third thing is they always care about me and they always ask me how my you know, wife or kids or husband is. So if you think about those things, you can start getting the clues to liking, because I think liking, there is a formula to enhance liking. And that doesn't mean it's inauthentic, because first thing is I would say you should be a good, likable person. Yeah. You know, if you're not a good, likable person, it's very hard to dress you up in, into a lot. But assuming that all of our listeners, again, they're good, likable people, how do we enhance that? Well, let's, let's break down liking. And this is what Cialdini talks about is how do you improve your likability factor? And they are things like you know, using someone's name, as you mentioned before, Tom, and, and, and about you know, eye contact when you're in the moment with them and you know, little common courtesies and all of those things that they might seem logical to people, but if you did a tick, tick list and say, well, here are 20 things 
that would create a likability factor or would enhance a likability factor. Often people only tick 12 of them. Mm. And uh, you know, so I think liking is really underrated and people will say, oh, of course I know that. But how much effort do you put into being more likable? It's, it's interesting because I remember in that chapter in that book um, that there's an experiment that's done where they get a stranger asking people in the streets for directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they found is that the person got a much better response when he approached people that actually dressed and looked similar to that person. Right. So we clearly know mm-hmm. that how similar you are to the person seems to affect how much they're going to like you. So I suppose people, John and Troy, have got a tendency to like and relate Others to Others like themselves. Yeah. People do like people that like them as well. So if you're open to liking people... yeah. They're actually going to pay that back to you. Does yeah, that make good sense? Point. Yeah, yeah. So, so the you more have a nice friendly energy. and open you are yeah. with your energy, true, that comes back to you. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. Tom. You mentioned about the clothes, the clothing bit. I, I met a lady in LA many years ago. Again, thirty years, I think it would have been when I was just starting in real estate. And I went on a trip to go and go to a conference there, and, and I met with her because I'd read about her being very good, and I found a way to connect with her. She told me about clothing. She said she would often change her style of clothing four times during the day. If she was going to a business lunch, she would be in a power suit. If she was then going to catch up with her family after hours, she would dress down because she didn't want to arrive at 6.30 at night when they're bathing the kids and getting ready for dinner in a power suit. And and so she she would change the way she presented herself, not to be inauthentic because she was a very authentic woman, but to make the customer, to your point, Tom, feel comfortable and therefore the liking bit. So I just had lunch before I came to this podcast with Andrew Morello, mm-hmm. who some of you, well, you guys know who he is, but many people would remember he won The Apprentice. Like, yeah. was Celebrity Apprentice or yeah. was uh, yeah. The Apprentice, right? The Apprentice, sorry, not The Celebrity one. Just The Apprentice. Just, just yep. the apprentice. Easy. Now he's probably on The Celebrity Apprentice because <laughs> he became a celebrity as a result. But I just had a quick lunch with Andrew Morello, and he's such a beautiful guy. And he has a huge likability factor, and I think it comes down to the fact, again, stuff we just mentioned, he's always upbeat. He's always energetic. He's always got a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. So storytelling is a part of liking because you like being around storytellers. You know, when you see him, he's very passionate. You know, he gives you a big hug and he's sort of very European and and, and emotional like that. And I just think Amarillo is one of, you know, hundreds of people that we get to meet that we really, really like often or maybe dozens anyway. And just looking at some of those things around openness and uh, compassion and passion, all those sort of things. So, yeah, the, the law of liking, I think has a very important place right at the beginning of the sales equation and it should never end. Mm. Why at the beginning? Because if you kind of, if, so, if someone, if you don't like them in the first few minutes, statistics yeah. tell us we'll probably finish the conversation quicker and we'll be probably predisposed to think how quickly can I finish this. Um, and I, I remember doing that, Tom, on a number of occasions with people. Sometimes it's people that you're even in a potential business relationship looking at employing and someone will say, oh, you should meet this person, they're really good, and then I go and meet them, and after three minutes I'm thinking, they're not really good. And sometimes they actually are good, but they disguise it, and after 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes, you find it out. But sometimes I think, wow, if I hadn't hung in there and kind of looked and hadn't been given the, the, um, the advice that they're really good, I probably wouldn't have you know, stayed in the conversation long enough so I think you've got to have some sort of a, a prompt impact on people. I, I can't help but notice that when I'm dealing with a salesperson at a customer point of view, whether it's IT or some other product related, I'm always attracted to someone 
that is not fake and perfect, but vulnerable and real. Yes. So even if they don't have a smoothness about them, if you're left with that feeling that this person is real, they're not perfect, mm. but for some reason they've opened up and showed some of their vulnerability. Vulnerability, yeah. yeah. Well, Brini Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and the power of it. Not that, that doesn't mean you know wearing your heart on your sleeve everywhere you go, but being open and honest about stuff. It's funny on the you know one of the things we mentioned before, Troy, you know, using people's names and not overusing, but you know using someone's name is is kind of a way people like the feeling that that creates. And I was at a breakfast function early this morning, and uh, I introduced a colleague of mine to someone else who's in the industry at a function, and I was kind of watching the interaction, and he said, "G'day, mate." And I thought, yeah, why didn't you use this person's name? Say, hi, Tom, how do you do? I'm Gerald. And it was interesting because I just thought, wow, because this other guy that used the word mate, and I'm not not against the word mate, and we do use it from time to time, you know, especially males in this country. It's kind of part of the colloquial, um, you know, jargon. But when you're meeting someone for the first time in a business context, and I say, you know, Troy, I'd like you to meet Tom, it's kind of not that cool to say, yeah. "Oh, good day, mate." Yeah, you'd say, "Hi, Tom. How do you do? I'm Troy, and this is what I do. And what do I you?" I love do? hearing. I love hearing my name, and I know people like hearing when they're talking that the name being mentioned. You, John, you do it. You do it extremely well. I've seen you do it with people that you meet for the first time. You'll mention their name um, in conversations uh, to them, um, which I think is a really important thing to have. Tell me on that one. Say, yeah, oh, both of those points. With Morello, rolling back to Morello, Morello includes you in the conversation, and by right. using someone's name, coming back to yeah, the point yeah. we're just on, including someone in the conversation actually makes you more likable as well. Absolutely. And, and what's even mega impressive that I've seen, and thanks for what you said before, Tommy, because I, I am aware of the importance of making people feel special and how that's one way amongst many others that you can. But sometimes you're in a crowd and there's six of you and they, you meet someone for the first time and they got to remember six people. And then I'll often see them, you know, two minutes later and they'll be talking and they'll turn and they'll say, so Troy, tell me more about... And I'm thinking, wow, you've remembered everyone's names. It's yeah. kind of like really yeah. amazing that the... And, and it's almost like just very natural for them. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, the law of liking, so summarising it, liking, critical, like and trust, um, break down, think about, if you're listening to the podcast, think about who you really like, then write a list of... What are the traits about them that you find very appealing? And then start putting your, yourself against those. How do you rate against those? What was the second one? Law of scarcity. Let's talk about that one. You want what you can't have. It seems that your appetite for something grows when you think that you might not get it. Now, I think we see evidence of that in Australian real estate markets on auctions all the time. I think when people are transparently seeing that they're about to lose a property at an auction, it seems to drive their emotive behaviour. And that's why you hear a lot of people saying, I went with a, a, a maximum figure of 1.3, but we went to 1.5 or whatever. And that, that probably the next one, I think we're going to talk about social proof. There's probably a bit of that in that as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah look, so I think... Scarcity. What, so scarcity. So, guys, what's, yeah, what do you see scarcity in real estate? Where do you see it every day? Well, look, I think one of the things that I used to do, Tom, when I was listing, and it was always with integrity and, and authenticity. But you know, I, I knew that there was a certain number of properties and clients that I could handle at one time, because I didn't have an assistant, didn't even have, for a long time, a mobile phone. 
So it was kind of just me in a three by five card box, which is how you know yourself yeah. and many others. Hot, medium, cold. That's right. <laughs> that's right. ABC buyer. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so often I would say to a client, and I was fortunate that I had strong market share and a strong profile in the area, and they would say, "So, John, you know." what do you think and almost you know why would we use you and I would sometimes say well Tom look you know I'd love to talk about that but the first thing I have to let you know is I can only handle you know 15 listings and right now I have 15 yeah so until I get one of my current listings sold which will probably be in the next few days I actually can't even start with your property and I could see all of a sudden they're leaning forward well how long do you think before you could start so they're all of a sudden wanting me because there is some level of scarcity and probably, again, social proof with that, because they're thinking, well, God, if 15 people want to use him and, and they're prepared to wait, well, you know, maybe we should too. So I think, you know, that's really, that's really important, uh, I think, around that. And I think scarcity and social proof do overlap quite a bit, because scarcity, by definition, often means the thing you want or desire is also wanted and desired by others, yeah. as per your auction. And, you know, often the busy restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, scenario too. They want to kind of get a seat in the restaurant. And someone says, well, you know, you should check that restaurant out. And they say, yeah, I'll think about it. But it's a month waiting list. What? How, yeah. Do you know anyone that can get me in? All of a sudden, you want to get in because it's hard to get in. And it's a private club. I know at Arik each year, I, you know, when we get to a certain point in sales, I always say, great, now we have to send out an email that says only 250 tickets left, which there always is. Yeah. But, you know, I know that once people read that, those that have been complacent and said, oh, yeah, well, I'll think about it, or I'll, I'll do it, or I'll, you know, reply next week, all of a sudden they can see the opportunity evaporating and they want to get in. Yeah. So, uh, but it's got to be used with authenticity and integrity. You can't, I don't think you can go out and, and just kind of, um, you know, exaggerate stuff. You've got to go out there and you've got to say, you know, this is the real deal. So if I was handling 25 properties and I said to someone I'm only able to handle 15, you know, like that's not the right thing either. But I, I, I think with the law of scarcity, you're absolutely right. Apart from in uh, miss, a buyer missing out on a property versus another buyer, I think in terms of a listing scenario, you see it all the time where they say, um, if we want to have this auction time, two o'clock, or if you want to have an open house time being at this time, we better activate the process straight away. Yep. Um, Scott Kennedy Green can only do, he's only got one auction slot left on that Saturday. Correct. And if you want Scott, you know, the best auctioneer in the country, I, I really correct. think we should be making a decision today. Yeah, all those things. But, it, you know, it's, it's got to be with integrity, and, and I just keep emphasising that. You can't make stuff up, and if Scott's got 12 slots left, well, you need to sell some other benefit of making a decision now. It's in, John, because it's interesting you say with integrity, because it's, a, it's actually the same laws that you use, whether there's integrity or not integrity. They seem to have a powerful effect. So one person can actually use it to make it good for the customer and good for the supplier of the service, mm-hmm. but another person, which we'll call a con man, uses the same law, um, yeah. laws... Um, just to benefit themselves. But over time, the con man or the agent or the business person, let's say, that's using that integrity will come unstuck almost every time. It's just a matter of time. Can they get away with it for three years or three months or whatever? But over time. I want to talk about the last law before uh, we finish this podcast because it actually came into play in my life yesterday. Um, I went out with uh, my daughters to the tram shed, oh, which I have never been. Right, it's so good. it's only five minutes from home, but I'd never been there. So we went there, and we wanted to get something to eat. And there was a queue of people, and it was absolutely packed. One of the the, the places, and my daughters haven't been there, and I haven't been there. And my daughter said, "This is a place we're going to." 
And I said, well, we're not going to go there because we've got to leave here in half an hour. And they said, no, this is the place. The food's fantastic here. This is where we're going. Because there's a queue. Because there's a queue. And I said, how do you know it's fantastic? They go, because everyone's come here and no one's in that one. And we've got no idea. So they've gone, they haven't gone on a trip advisor or anything. No. All they've done is judged it on the fact yes. that there was people there. Is that the Italian place? Do you remember? Italian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time I haven't been there because it's got such a long queue, but I agree with you. Well, growing up, growing up, so there's a social proof. Social, social, social proof. Yeah, Consensus would say that you, people follow the lead of other people. Growing up on all the beaches, fish and chip shops, they would be side by side next to each other. There's one in Newport. People would line up out the door right. to get seafood from one particular shop, and the and other one would the be milk almost shops empty. That place, the milkshakes that place used to. Make yeah, too. yeah, and fish it and just happened all the time. I can sit, mate. Your mouth salivating. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to be back there. It doesn't it's not there anymore? It's not there. So you know, in context of real estate, social proof. Is well, well, John, I can tell you, my first employer, or one of my first, John Ausnett at Professional Padstow. I'll never forget what John Ausnett said to me day one in real estate. He said, "Oh, and by the way." When you have a second inspection on a property, because back then, John, open houses weren't the norm on every property. What you used to do is make buyer appointments. He said, when you get a second inspection on a property, make sure you organise to get other buyers for time management purposes, but it'll also look good if you've got other buyers there. So you'd have a second inspection on a property and you'd have other buyers there. And I think that's a social proof concept in real estate. So open for inspections, I agree with you. What a great vehicle, because if you arrive now, you know, sometimes you arrive, there's no one there, but if you arrive and there's a lot of other people there, especially true if it's your second inspection and you're seeing the same faces, all of a sudden you get that competitive nature and that, that kicks into gear. So. Uh, and then at auction, you mentioned before, Tom, when we talk, talk about scarcity, you know, when you see someone else bidding, then this must, thing must be good. Yeah. You see people standing in a queue for a restaurant, this food must be good. Yeah. So, you know, how, how do you use that? Well, I know Adrian Bow, at our, at our, one of our executives in the business and um, at our Coogee office, and as you know, one of the top agents in Australia, Tom, Adrian Bow um, will often send before he goes to a listing he'll send 150 beautifully bound testimonials from his clients. Yeah. And often afterwards, he'll say, Tom, if you're happy with the service, if, if you feel like dropping me something on your letterhead, you know, that I can then show to other people, I'd appreciate it. And he, he beautifully binds them and he sends them to the client. He picks them up afterwards. But he says, just thought you might want to see what some of my recent clients... And this thing arrives and it's delivered to his door by one of Adrian's team and it's like a telephone book. Yeah. And they go through it and they see all these that social proof. So, you know, testimonials are a form of to- social proof, open for inspections, auctions, um, repeat and referral business. Successful sales. I've seen a few uh, really high-profile agents, if they've made 10 out of the top 20 sales in a particular area, suburb, Peter Chauncey I'm thinking of here, they'll be highlighted in a different colour and they'll be distributed throughout the marketplace yeah. to show that social proof that they're the number one agent in a particular market. The other thing, Troy, I used to focus on when I was selling a lot, um, especially in the early days, but right through my career, was influential people. Mm. I knew in any any neighbourhood, there's some degree of influential people. And some some neighbourhoods, they're influential on a national scale and other areas, they're just influential in the local community. And I think if I'm an agent listening to this podcast and thinking, well, how can I use social proof? We've already given you some examples of what we could do. But I would target every influencer in your community. Yeah. I would write a personal letter or reach even better, reach out and, and get to meet them. And some you know and some you don't. 
and, and just say, look, you know, I admire the street, your house or whatever, if you've seen the house before. If you ever contemplate selling, it would be a real pleasure for me. Because if you can get a few influences in your community, people say, oh, wow. You know, well, Malcolm Turnbull, the now Prime Minister, I was very fortunate, not when he was Prime Minister, but before he was Prime Minister, but still a very influential business person to sell his property. And I know that that gave me enormous access into networks and people that just so, rang up. So, John, you sold the Prime Minister's property when yeah. he wasn't Prime Minister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 44 Good Hope Street, and a beautiful home. I sold it to him, and I sold it for him uh, several years later. And, uh, and he was great to deal with and, and, and all the rest, and it was a real pleasure, especially looking back now that he's, he's now the Prime Minister. What a, what a great honour. But I remember that back then he was a merchant banker, um, and he was a very successful merchant banker. And I remember from selling it how much um, business that generated for me, because I think people think, well, if you're good enough to sell Malcolm Turnbull's house, he's an astute businessman, you'll be, you know, you're good enough for me type of thing. So I think it can either be group social proof mm -hmm. or even individual key people. Well, I think, John, proof. we're moving on potentially to even bordering another one of these laws, which we're not going to touch on, which is the law of authority. Mm. And I think the law of authority says if people that have got authority make a certain decision, yeah. it must be the right decision. Yeah, if people perceive you are, let's call it an authority in inverted commas, um, and how do you do that? Well, you know, you can do that with letters after your name, you can do it by handling the best business, you can do it by writing an article once a week about some particular, you can, authors, one of the reasons I wrote the book that I wrote, or the first one, Tom, was uh, two reasons I wanted to write the book. One was I always, I knew the books changed my life by reading them and I wanted to kind of, yeah. you know, offer some back to people. Um, and second thing, I always thought it'd be cool to walk into Dimmicks one day and see your book. I don't even know if Dimmicks exists, like the world's changed so much. Maybe it's all Apple iBooks now. But <laughs> uh, and I used to think, wow, that'd be cool. Imagine walking in, because I used to walk into bookshops every weekend and seeing my book there. I thought that'd be cool. I get, John, I, I get... My real estate gym members continue to rate your book oh, good. Good. as the best. When I ask them, do mini surveys, send out emails, um, they love it. Well, I think the you. fact is that um, the fact that they know it's conversational. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty easy to read. I think because I was never good at reading things that were too technical. But you know, when people speak to you through the pages, anyway. So uh, you know, that was sort of thing. But the third thing was, I, I also felt that it would be a good business card, if you will, you know, if you're, because if you write a book, I always used to think if someone was doing a, a seminar speech and they were the author of a book, a la Cialdini, wow, you've got to get there because they must be the best. Whether it's right or wrong, it's certainly the impression. So the authority bit, I think, is very important. And, you know, there's a number of ways you can become an authority. So Well, that was, that, the bonus. that was the bonus that was one, the bonus. wasn't it? That yeah. was the bonus. Very good. We so we've had, this was a long podcast, but I think uh, extremely useful podcast. Um, and we are going to finish on this point because realestate.com.au are our sponsors. And if you talk about the law of social proof, I would say that that website now allows a consumer to clearly work out which agent has got the stock. Awesome. It is the king of social proof. Yep. It is transparent social proof. It shows which agent's got the stock. It also shows which agent has sold the stock. So thank Troy, you. Troy's got a great um, little graphic here that we should put up on your website. Yeah, what's, what's the graphic? Um, it's just, it's about, it's about... Uh, just the, the laws of influence. Laws of influence. It's a little, quick little summary. And it would be a good thing if, you, if, so, if so Judith or Susan can put it on your website. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put this up there. It's very good. It's got the... Um, 
uh, the laws, uh, the six laws, and we'll get this put up there on tompanos.com.au. So Troy, apart from, I mean, a lot of people don't realise that you're recording us, you're chipping in, you're throwing questions, you're probing, <laughs> but at the same time, you're actually finding content during the actual podcast. Oh, I love it. I love Extraordinary. It. Troy so go, and have, go to Tom's website after you've heard this. It'll be up by then. Yep. And we yep. also urge these people to actually look at both books potentially. Download them. And what them. did you call it? Pers- Persuasion. Persuasion. And uh, yeah, download the audio books if you're kind of like me and most of us nowadays, yep. it's kind of good to be driving and listening. John, when you download an audio book, you listen to it or you watch it on an iPad? You, you listen read, to it. I listen, listen to, to it, it mainly. It. But I still actually download to Kindle and iBook and read because um, I like, I've just been reading Legacy, the story of the great All Blacks for our Kiwi listeners. Um, and uh, often, I I still quite like the balance. I must say I listen to a lot more than I read mm. just because I can listen while I'm you know, kind of driving and, and, you know, in the shower or whatever, whereas when you're reading, you've got to have be a bit more focused. Hard to read in the shower, Troy, it gets a bit messy. Gets <laughs> so, a bit John, messy. quick question. You read, you read books on uh, Kindle or you actually read real books in hard copy? Now, majority of them are on Kindle because uh, I just find it's easy. You know, you can have a library in, in, your, K- in your... Kindle K- or iPad? iPad, but it's, there's a right. Kindle app. The Kindle app. I have Kindle on iPad. App. Troy, what do you do? Audible.com. Everything You're listening so, to them, right? Yeah, audio yeah. download. It syncs as a cloud-based app on your iPhone. So whenever I'm flying anywhere, plug it in, listen. Uh, it bookmarks it as well. So wherever you get up to, when you stop listening to the app, you can pick it up straight away. The yeah. other thing on the Kindle things, Tom, you're probably aware of this, but you can highlight stuff, and then it, it you know, then it can at the end of it, you go back and you can just look at the things you've highlighted. So, you know, you can spend a few hours over a few sessions reading it, but then if you want to get just the concentrated best lessons you learn, it stores that. The other thing, because when you highlight it, it remembers where you've highlighted it and remembers where others have highlighted it. It can show you the most highlighted phrases, sentences or paragraphs of everyone that's read the book. And I think that's kind of cool because, again, that's social proof, right? I want to read the highlights that the 10,000 people that have already read the book have highlighted. So what better way? Just go there and just summarise it. So it's very good. Yeah, so lots of lessons here. Well, how long did this podcast go for, Troy? Four yeah. hours. <laughs> 30, 30, just over 30 minutes. Great, great, uh, great information here. Uh, thank you, realestate.com.au. Um, gentlemen, we will see you next week. See you guys. See you guys.